Good morning, um, Church. Thank you for the opportunities to allow us to uh, share in some of the work that Prince Elshu has at Prince working. Uh, on behalf of organizations, uh, we was, would like to bring you greeting in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in the process of our work in the church, uh, there are times that we need to sit back and reflect what God is doing at this present time. Uh, from that note, I would like to share uh, about some of the trends that God is presently doing so that we are not taken back by uh, the activities in the church, but also to know uh, the God's movements that are taking place. If we look into the history, uh, from the time of Christ to the year 1908, the global populations were actually stand at about 1.8 billion. And from two, 1908 to the year 2011, for the first time, the global populations hit 7 billion, slightly over 100 years. Uh, despite of the Second World War, Two World War, the world population has actually exploded. Uh, if Christ decided not to come so early, they predicted by the year 2050, which is short, about 20 plus years from now, the world populations will hit 9.2 billion. Uh, what took the time of Christ to the year 1908 for the population to hardly hit 2 billion now, it took less than 50 years for the additional 2 more billions of the people coming to the earth. The world is getting very crowded and uh, the things have been changing tremendously. Uh, these are some of the changing trends that are taking place because of globalization. Few of the key points that are taking place is the advancement of technology, something that we can't deny right from the time of 100 years ago, the discovery of steam engine to the present time, the progress of technology are taking an unprecedented pace. And of course, we've come with the medicines that allow human beings to have a long piece of life, a healthy lifestyle. Uh, the third area that the church, uh, the world is going through is actually the transmigrations. The people are moving from one place to another. Globally, about 10% of the people are moving from one place to another. Uh, predominantly through the uh, economic reasons. People who are poor started to move. People who are hungry will start to move. The effect of globalization, I like what uh, this man has stated. He says that God does not put us in this time to in order to curse the wind, because the wind of change is coming, but to sail the ship. We will not stop the gathering storm of globalization because it's coming at us. We will, with God's help, harness the force of globalization so that those who are very forced take us in the directions God wants, not in the directions they're trying to blow us away. There are three routes that the people are moving, three very different routes. Uh, one of the great movements that are taking place that people are migrating is actually from South America to North America, uh, the, from a poor country to a richer country. Uh, the second route that are taking place is actually from people from Middle East and from Africa trying to flee into Europe 
trying to earn a living because people are hungry. The third round, surprisingly, there were also a lot of these people are moving in and trying to cross over to Malaysia to Australia. Somehow Malaysia becomes a hub. I think maybe because of the easy access of visa, uh, many of the countries will have a access free visa or visa on arrival into Malaysia. And from there, they'll find figures and find ways to go over to Australia. And unfortunately, many are stuck in Malaysia and couldn't go further than that because Australia do not give them the visa to move forward. Now, in order to understand a little bit about the work that is going on, we need to at least understand from the biblical perspective what God has to say uh, in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament. I'll just quote three of the verses that is taken from the Old Testament, how God has reminded the Israelites <coughs> Uh, uh, when they were in, uh, in the promised land, uh, God has reminded the Israelites, taken, let's say, from the book of Leviticus chapter 19, verse 33 to 34. Uh, God has reminded the Israelites, when the aliens that live among you, do not mistreat them. You must treat them as one of your native poor. Love him and you yourself as a reminder you yourself were once in Egypt, when you were also an alien. Another verse is taken from is actually from Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 24, verse 17 to 18. It says, Do not deprive the aliens or the founders of justice, or to take the clock of the woman as a pledge. Remember, you were once a slave, you yourself, and how you have been treated. And we have to also in likewise how to treat the people that is around us. The third passage that I will take from is actually from the book of Zechariah, chapter 7, verse 9 to 10. It said, Administer true justice, shows mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the aliens or the poor that is in your heart. I do not think of evil among them. Interesting, the word alien has been constantly been emphasized in the, uh, in the Bible. And of course, there is not words that is used as migrants, air, the refugees, or the irregular migrants. Because at the time of, of the Old Testament and the New Testament, that word has not been, uh, been used very commonly. But in the Bible, they are either used as sojourners, foreigners, or the alien that is now means. So what God is trying to remind the Israelites, even right to our time, is that uh, we have all these people around us, even right into the Old Testament time. It's not something new that the church will find it very strange to have. Uh, and I think there is no coincidence to these trans-migrations. Millions of people are not flocking from one place to another because of poverty, because of survival. Now I'd like to quote from the book of Acts, uh, chapter 17, verse 26-27. We have to look at from this perspective, what is God doing? And you say that He has made from one man, which is Adam, every nation that dwells on the face of the earth. And He has determined their pre-appointed time and boundary of their dwelling. So they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might reach for Him and to find Him and through Him which is far, not far, never far from any one of us. It's God that predetermined the time where they are 
at the present time and at present era. And I believe that if God has placed them in our land, there must be a good reason. And the church will need to respond instead of the general response to say that, oh, they're coming here, they're taking away our work and they are causing a lot of trouble in our land. Interestingly, it's not the migrants that cause the most of the trouble. Being foreigners, they know of their limitations. And uh, we at least need to know what is the public of the diaspora populations that are in Malaysia. When we term it diaspora, I'm trying to define it together with the refugees, asylum seekers, migrants, and also the irregular migrants. In the layman terms, usually we call that as uh, illegal migrants. But in the United Nations eyes, they are considered as undocumented migrants. Now, uh, Ministry of Health Resources at one time claims that we have an estimate of 2 to 2.1 to 2.2 million legal migrant workers. No one for up to at this present time has not uh, known how many are those with no documents. Except for one time during the 2018, uh, 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 2017, sorry, uh, one of the debate in the day one, yeah, the Human Resource Minister, Dr. Sri Richard Wright, made a passing comment that in Malaysia, we have an estimate about 6.7 million migrant workers or labor, which includes the legal and the illegal. Uh, nobody for sure know how many, but we know that for every one legal migrant workers, there could be two or even 2.5 uh, of these people with no documents. Can you imagine the number of migrants over in Malaysia is about the same size of the Chinese in Malaysia's population, which is about 22%. On top of that, United Nations at this present time has registered an estimate of 190,000 refugees in Malaysia. Uh, not includes those who are asylum seekers, which means the United Nations would need to at least verify another 50,000. At this present moment, we were told that those who went to who are going down to the United Nations to get their paper to be verified to say they are persecuted by the country, the appointment time just to have the first interview could be as long as two to three years. Uh, at that time, they were considered as irregular migrants and no, no help was ever given to them, even when they are running away from the country. Because over this time, the United Nations globally, the populations of refugees has actually exploded. Ten years ago, Malaysia, uh, the global refugees population stand at about 40 million. 2020, or rather 2021, right to the latest statistic, United Nations globally has registered about 82 million refugees globally. The world is going through tremendous pain at the moment. Uh, intolerance, especially at this COVID-19, uh, the, 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 the intolerance is even getting worse. Now, compounded on this, the Ministry of Health Higher Education at one time was commenting by the year 2020, uh, which was actually last year before the, the COVID time, that we are targeted to bring in about 200,000 international students from all over the world. Uh, in fact, 2019, they registered about 180,000 of international students coming from 100 
and 36 countries, and predominantly coming from Middle East. Uh, we want to mention about the business expatriates and the businessmen or the professionals that are in Malaysia. In terms of the people who are in Malaysia, it's a lot. So we have to at least understand. The migrants in Malaysia, which are coming from all the different countries, predominantly from 12 countries. And uh, if you look into carefully into a lot of these uh, people who in particular in the, with the refugees category, Predominantly, these people coming from the 1040 windows, the very rich. And these are the people that the missionary will have difficulty going into their country. And God has scattered them out, especially in 2011, after the Arab Spring. Uh, there's a huge outflow of all these people to different parts of the world. And Malaysia is actually one of the recipients of the people who are running away from their life. Uh, Late 1999 or early 2000, uh, a small group of us decided to say that we want to do something about migrants that surround us. Uh, that was about slightly over 20 years ago. Uh, Al Shaddai was formed, where formerly it was called as Migrant Ministry Clan, because we have actually moved away only working with legal migrant workers to across the board all the other diaspora that are in Malaysia. We will deem that as a discipling nation at our doorstep. At the, at the end of 2019, we registered an estimate of 1,600 students, not only in Klang itself, but we have actually brought spread forward to all the other part of Malaysia to the extent up to East Malaysia, in particular in Sabah. Uh, to date, we have registered an estimate of 2,000 students. I'll try to explain to you how that could be possible with a small setup like this. And I will tell you the model that we're using because we know that unless we change, we will continue to stay in the old conventional way of trying to do mission work. Uh, Albert Einstein has once said, you know, we're always trying to do the thing, same thing again and again and again and expect a different result. In order for us to change, we need to at least know of the available training and resources that are available to us and use every avenue to see that the gospel will not only stuck with the limitations that we have. I like what William Carey has once said, you know, uh, if you want to do God's work, we must attain God's science work and we must also expect God's science work. When we expect in God's work that we are doing, that we want to, we will not do it with our own human effort. We will want to definitely want to do it. Only God can it, uh, do that. On the year 2017, November, uh, the school has hit the maximum. Uh, incidentally, all our school are held inside different church premises in Klang. To those who are more familiar with Klang, there was a cluster of church in uh, Klang town itself where three, four churches buildings are located close to one and nine. <laughs> that allows us to use the church premise uh, on weekdays uh, when the church is not uh, 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 having any activities. And during the weekends, the church activities will continue to go on. With that four premises, we have roughly registered about 650 students. Uh, we were asking, what is God wanting us to do? The impression that we're given is, do not stop that. You should also think of avenue to expand the work. 2018, we started our auxiliary 
uh, a school, which means that we take the school into the heart of the community where they are staying. Uh, within the short span of about three years, we have actually expanded about four or five other auxiliary schools, which is about seven to ten kilometers away from the client, the main school itself. Uh, in totality now, we have roughly about 1,200 students only in Klang, right from kindergartens right up to uh, uh, secondary five, uh, which our students are taking on the uh, uh, Cambridge pathway, uh, IGCSE. Uh, we have the happy, happy to say that, in fact, last year, uh, eight of our students were actually gone for the IG exam, all passed with flying colors. So we believe that if you give people a chance, they will be able to do well. So this is the second model that we do, is actually the self-auxiliary, which is kindergarten and level one, will so be conducted in the communities, providing free education to this group of people with a very, very minimal cost. And even for that, we've been requested several times by the, uh, the madrasa, the Muslim religious center, which is the Ringa madrasa, uh, because a lot of time when the student would want to come out to join us, they may have to wait for maybe a year or so because we're full. We have come to the stage that we could not even cope further. But the waiting list has been very long. First time that we did our first school right inside the Muslim religious center that is in Johansetia, where the madrasas opened the center for us to use where in the morning we'll conduct the normal school class, in the afternoon they have the religious study. I always believe that if you want to take the gospel to their people, you've got to go to the very heart of their community. The same way, if you want to take the lion's cup, you must prepare to go into the heart of the lion's den to collect the children. And they are the ones who open up us because of the years of the engagement with them, the level of trust has been given. At this present moment, we are working in partnership with six, seven other madrasa schools who actually open up for us to use. Uh, these are the invitations they have called us to go in. And other than giving them the four basic, uh, three basic uh, 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 syllabus, which is me, uh, math, science, and English, we always incorporate in moral study. And I believe that you should at least know how does our moral study will go. It's actually a biblical story. Intentional discipleship, right from the heart of these young children. Uh, we're teaching English. Story is part of the story telling uh, uh, time that we will want to share with them. And we bring the Bible story right into the heart of their community. And they will love to hear story. And we said this is coming from a holy book. And we'll tell them the story of Jesus about the parable. Whoever planned the first seed, in the heart of these people, we see the harvest to come in the years to come. Because if you want to make a change in the community, you must learn to build critical mass. We are praying now for 6,000 students, not 600. And we know that if we want to reach them, you need to have a different strategy to see that more of these people can be reached. A day will come. We may not receive the harvest. 20 years down the road, the young children will grow up to be adults. They are going to make a decision. They are going to say that these are some of the options I would choose not to follow. Even with the religious, because they have education and they know who are the other God they are going to worship. The third model that we use is actually to set up a, 
uh, uh, online literacy class targeting at all those uh, who want to learn English because one of the advantage about modern technology because everybody holds a handphone, a smartphone. And uh, for them to at least conduct a class, we will look for a, a, a community contact point. They will recruit the students and every student that they recruit, they will have to collect the 10 ringgit from them. And every student they recruit, we will also give them another 10 ringgit. So they will go around to recruit all these students in the group of five and we have the teachers teaching them online one week twice, 45 minutes, and they will learn to speak English because they need to learn in the group so they can practice with one another. And we have a lot of opportunities to do community engagement and using Bible to teach English to this group of people. Um, we have no qualms and everybody also wants to learn. And uh, we have the community to do the connections with us. In the process of the lockdown, we continue to keep on expanding because there was a request uh, early last year. Uh, we have a request from the, uh, the Champa community in Kwantan. And we went there and set up a school for them. We always tell them, they must provide the hardware in order for us to go in to give them the software. This is model number four, where we now will have to collaborate with the community. The community will run the school and we will come and provide the uh, trainings, holding the hand of some of the teachers who are having some basic educations and give them the tools to use it. Uh, they only have to facilitate because media has given us the accessibilities using every avenue because educations can come online and we only facilitate it from afar uh, uh, where the teachers can teach it from Singapore or from Australia and even from Malaysia, maybe from Kuala Lumpur, they can teach the students that are in, in Kuantan or even Kutabaru. So what they do is actually they have to rent a place, set up a school, get all the students, collect their own school fees. We will go there and give them a small stipend. Every teacher and then cost them three to four hundred ringgit. And the others, they will have to collect it from the student themselves. They will have to collect. And if they want to teach well, they make sure that the student continue to learn and they continue to provide the fees. And they also have to upgrade themselves because the students will have to upgrade. Uh, in one way, that will help the teachers to perform well. Because over the next two, three, or even the four years, they will be a very good teachers. Because we use method to teach, not people focus. Because if you look for teachers, it's always a challenge. We have to look so many teachers when you want to do. Hold the hand of this community and they will learn along the way. Uh, and uh, last year, mid of last year, we started to launch out to Sabah because when we look at the areas deep in our heart, Sabah has the highest number of irregular migrants. They estimate about 1.2 to 1.5 million uh, irregular migrants uh, in Sabah alone. So it is for every two Sabahan, there will be one uh, 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 irregular migrants in their mix. So it's a huge number. Uh, over there, in fact, we started uh, also the same model where we go into the heart of the Banjau and the Solo uh, Kampong and set up a school over there in the heart uh, where they are staying. And we hold the hand of this teacher and walk along with them. So we bear very little cost because they have to collect the fees themselves. And our teachers will go there is only to facilitate, not to teach for them. 
they have to take ownership. Always remember when you go to any communities, we want to work with them. We don't want to go and do for them. Uh, one of the greatest change uh, that we want to see that if they are not interested, it's fine. We just leave. Because there are millions of other people who are deprived of education. They are looking for people who are willing to go into help. So when we go in as a volunteer, missionary teachers, they can bring a lot of gospel into their heart. Intentionally, we go there, we also tell them story. One of the greatest joy that I've seen is we are using oral Bible story, telling story, and they will then go and tell the others. Uh, it also reminds us during the time of Jesus Christ, why Jesus all the time was using parable to tell this group of people. Because at that New Testament time, a lot of these people are illiterate. So in order to disciple them well, is to use Bible story. So when they learn the Bible story, they can go and tell the others. No problems. Even when they're illiterate, they can still do that. Uh, and also, one avenue that we're looking to is actually through the mobile medical clinic, using medical knowledge to go into new communities to uh, uh, open up to gauge the community's need. Uh, at the present moment, in El Shaddai's, we have roughly about 20 different nationalities uh, that we are engaging with. All this opportunity is because of the education we're providing them. And um, three years back, actually, I actually started up a social enterprise under a different company called as Life to Life, from one life touching another, because we also want to see that they can sustain themselves and giving them an opportunity to earn a living of their own self, instead of going there to do relief work. One of the works that we always do not do is actually relief. We only do rehabilitations and development. Education is long-term development. Rehabilitation is holding their hands to see that they can learn to earn a living their own self. One of the classic examples that we have actually done uh, is through skill enhancement, which we have just started at the beginning of this year, an aircon electrical, and soon to launch also at the same time electronics training. We just have the first batch of students who have finished their aircon service training and electrical, basic electrical. And uh, we are supposed to take in the second batch, but because of the lockdown, we have not been able to do much. And young teenage children, we know that it will be quite difficult for them to go back to the school. Uh, when they have three to four years of education at the age of 15, 16, or 17 years old, what we want is actually to provide them a skill. With that skill, they will be able to earn a living of their own self. Um, not only on theory, but could take them out into the field and let them learn. Because we have experienced and con uh, guy who actually walk along with them. Uh, so not only in the in the classroom, but also in the field itself. Another area is that we have actually ventured into on the big scale is actually fish farming, urban fish farming. We know that in, in urban areas to breed a large quantity of fish is something impossible. So we're using technology, using microbes, uh, 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 microorganisms to uh, break down the fish, the, the waste, in order that uh, uh, the waste will, will go back with the clean water again into the fish pond itself, using a very small space to breed the fish. And uh, we will want you to see a, 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 a two-minute video slide about the fish are uh, being taken care of by the Syrians and the Cuban refugees in a small area. 
uh, God willing, we do pray that the time will come and the NCOs are lifted, that a church like Subang AOGs will be able to help us to, to purchase some of our product, the fish. Uh, we can assure you that the fish is actually uh, being fed by high quality protein that we do not provide, uh, we do not feed them with hormones to make the fish grow very fast. So it grow on the natural process, take a much longer time and uh, uh, at least the quality of the fish we want to maintain. Another area that we are embarking on is actually the rabbit farming, which at time to come we will at least wanted to show you some of the product that we have actually produced. Uh, the third area that we are actually now doing is actually grapes cultivating, uh, tropical grapes, where we will produce grapes that were good enough for consumptions. Uh, the grape has actually matured already coming to a year. We are supposed to do the bark grafting, but because of the M0 and the lockdowns, we have to delay the bark grafting. But the stem itself has to be matured at least a year. Now they have actually produced grapes, but that grapes are not for us to consume. That grape is the proof that the, this particular plant actually been, been growing well. Uh, we have 12 plants. We believe that in the time to come, we should be able to produce about about 50 to 100 kilos of grapes per season. Uh, it depends on the, the maturity of the, uh, the plant to see that they will produce even more. One area that we're also working on is on bakery, that we work in partnership with one of the uh, bakers who are actually producing quality bread all this while. And uh, they have actually set up a branch plan that is working on a partnership, 75-25 partnership and uh, where our refugees are at the present moment working over there, producing uh, a quality biscuits uh, for the market. Uh, we were slowly trying to expand the work where we can get in more refugees to go into work. And one of the uh, uh, projects that we embarked, which has been highly successful, is actually the sewing project that is working among the Afghans community. We started the work in 2019. Uh, where we produce high quality clothes for several boutique companies. But because of the lockdown, we find that, oh, I have come to a time that you know, we have not been able to do anything. God has been very gracious to every one of us. During the time of the lockdown, uh, we are the largest, one of the largest producers of PPE for the hospitals all around Malaysia. Because at that time, nobody would dare to do all. Uh, all these uh, our sowers within the Afghan community at that one time were supporting of 40 over families producing uh, the PPA for the hospital 12 hours a day, 7 days a week. And within that 3 months, they produced by thousands and upon thousands because at that time, it was something that it was so urgent and everybody were looking into it. We know that this has been over and they have the second phase, they were actually producing face masks. Uh, we have a lot of uh, company and NGOs actually giving us order to produce face masks. Thing is now settled down. We're now moving into back into boutique uh, manufacturing again because a lot of these boutiques are now selling online. We are in the process of looking into one of the company who want to help us to upscale uh, into going into productions. Uh, we are working into a, a big company who actually want to invest knowing that this is an avenue they can do their CSR. Now, two big projects that actually birthed forth from COVID-19. One is actually called Emergency Relief Fund. As I've said in the past, that we have not been 
are very strong in doing relief work because we believe that uh, only go and give handout would not be our forte. But because of the lockdown, and uh, we find that there are people who really crying out for help. Over the past one year, we have fed roughly about 5,000 families, five to 6,000 families. Uh, some have been one time, some have been a couple of times, especially for those that are claim that we are closing, very, are working very closely, constantly we are providing provisions. Not because they do not want to work, but because of the, the lockdown. None of them are allowed to go out to work. Uh, another area that we have embarked on is actually the e-trainings uh, uh, that we, we're talking on. Uh, we are in the moment trying to move into areas using internet as an avenue to do engagement. Now, a lot of time people have started to ask, uh, what are all this work that we're doing, the social work? What is the result? Indirectly, we have been asked, what's the food like? I share with you one or two of the testimony uh, that the students have now gone overseas, which has actually uh, rolled back. Uh, somehow, we do, we do not have a chance to keep track of it. All the students have gone out. But occasionally, we have one or two students who wrote back and thanking us for the pathway we have actually charged for them when they're over in Malaysia. And because we lay them a good foundation, so when they go overseas, they will have the opportunities to uh, to, to earn a living, go into university. Now, one particular person that I would like to look to uh, share with you is uh, this Rohingya boy that was actually in our school for six full years. When he was actually coming to our school, he was already nine years old, along with his younger brother. Now he's in the United States. Uh, his name is called Samso Alam. The testimony when he was writing this uh, letter to us, it really, really touches. I'm not drawing on it, uh, but you can look it through the screen. Uh, but the last part that is written, it said that, I pray that the love of God, the grace of Christ, and the sustaining breath of the Holy Spirit is with you now and forever. For a Muslim, written to a Christian organization like us, speaks well of why has he learned this word, giving a benedictions, giving his benedictions to the church like us. We're not too sure where is he now, but we believe for sure uh, a people like this, a day will come, they may even come back to bless the community. And I believe for very sure he's not going to be a, a, a same person that he is when he leaves their country. He is going to bring blessings to them. Another example that I would like to share with you is about uh, two years back, we received an enormous bill, uh, uh, money of uh, Australian 1000 from a lady in Australia whom that we don't even know. So when we wrote back, we tried to at least explain how did she come to know us. It was actually one of our students who has been awarded for a scholarship. And she wanted to thank the, the school that actually taught him, uh, taught her when she was in Malaysia. Uh, and um, amazingly, she write a testament what she was saying is, not only I learned a lot from the school, in Al Shaddai school, I also have a lot of fun. It was one of my most fun days that I have. As a refugee, you see a lot of time people in our school, they, uh, they don't like holiday because they have to cope up at home. When they come to the school, they have so many people that come together, they can talk, they can interact, uh, uh, regardless of any nationality that they come from. 
Uh, to them, a lot of them in Malaysia will take it for granted. But to them, it's such an important avenue of their life that they grow it up. The children need a, a, an avenue to grow. Now, working on all this work, one of the greatest components in Einstein is actually our few people, which we call them as LED team. L-E-D, which means lead, evangelize, and disciple. And uh, we have about 30 over people that is in the field, Malaysians, fellow Malaysians from young to about uh, old age, who actually some of them has given up their career just to be with us in order that they want to see the great commissions to be fulfilled. Uh, we have the privilege to walk along with them to see that they will continue to fulfill what God has actually implanted them. We become like a facilitator, a platform for these people to engage in different areas of life. Uh, of course, in our kind of life, we will occasionally we have visitors which you will deem it as a threat to every one of us. Uh, two years back, I was being visited by the religious authority of Malaysia uh, from Selangor, who has uh, received complaint that we are trying to proselyte among the Muslims. Because you have to understand, in kind itself, or, or rather, in totality of our number of students that we have, uh, more than 80% are actually Muslim. Uh, can you imagine of this Muslim going in and out of the church building? Uh, they're bound to some local lodge complaint, wasn't very happy. And surprisingly, they are rational people and they, they, they just want to know what we are doing. Uh, the pictures were later shared with you. Actually, they, when they come over in the initial stage, they were talking in a very threatening manner. But when we stand firm, and tell them who we are, that we're humanitarian workers, we're helping them to provide them education. We're not there to do anything sinister. Uh, they know. And they know that if you, you are not a pushover, uh, they also will, will learn to sober down and learn to talk thanks with you. Uh, I said that if they are happy, if not happy, they're free to take all these students into the mosque themselves. All of them quiet. They know that for thousands of students, there's no way they're going to do it. Neither does the government really bother. And of course, last year, uh, another complaint was launched. Uh, I've been visited by the uh, Deputy Superintendent of Police, which is a special branch from Slango. Uh, they're very kind people. A team of them came over, we took them out for lunch, and the interview were actually in the, in the restaurant itself. It took them about three hours, three, four officers, meet up with me, try to understand some of the work we're doing. Their only concern is that we will be a public disturbance to the community. But if we are not, they don't even bother. And they know that what we're doing. And if we're trying to be nasty, instantly the school that we're having in Klang is just beside the police headquarters. In and out, they know. And they also know that these are people from non-Malaysian citizens, and we have the endorsement from the United Nations. If they're not too happy, I just told them, please launch your United Nations and close down our school. None of them actually would dare to do that because they know it will be difficult for these children who are running around, causing more nuisance to the people, uh, to the Malaysians. One of the areas they have set up beginning 2020, before the lockdown, I've actually initiated a new work called Malaysia Diaspora Network. It's a network where 
uh, national bodies from different parts of the countries would have a share of the resources. And along with it, we also provide some form of training. Uh, the whole purpose of this network is to link up churches or individuals doing the same work in different parts of the country, uh, giving them an opportunity to share notes, giving information, some training they provided, some of the resources are available are freely offered to them. Uh, from there, we also provide a training called as Diaspora Mission Training. Taking from the past 20 years of experience, we also want to share with the church there's something that we can do alone. Not because we want to expand our work, but rather to see that this work are taken on by the church. For West Malaysia alone, we have roughly about 5,000 churches uh, with the populations of about 4% of the West Malaysians are Christians. I think the church can do something. Uh, with so many of these people are so close to us, missions can be done right at our doorstep. Uh, Book of Psalms, chapter 2, verse 8, it said that, Ask of me, and I will give you the nations as an inheritance, and the end of the earth as your possessions. We must dare to ask, and God will provide you the nations. And the nations is now at our doorstep. A small organizations like El Shaddai are reaching to 20 different nations. We can do a lot. That's where the partnership will need to come. Thank you for your claims for uh, allowing me to share.